On October 11, 1492, three ships were nearing the island that is now known as San Salvador in the Bahamas when several sailors on board the ships saw something unexpected, the light of a small, moving flame. A sailor named Rodrigo de Triana saw it first, and he pointed it out to his admiral. Other crew members saw it as well and compared it to a lit candle moving up and down. Some believed the light to be moving on land, while others thought it was just near the land. The admiral wrote about the light in his journal, and accounts of the sighting endure to this day. That's because the three ships were the Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria. The admiral was Christopher Columbus, and he was sailing through the Bermuda Triangle. Despite being one of the most heavily traveled waterways in the world, the Bermuda Triangle is known globally as a dangerous place where mysterious things happen. At least 20 planes and 50 ships have disappeared within the last 100 years alone, resulting in the loss of over 1,000 lives. Some estimates claim that there have been over 1,000 combined vanishings. Other mysterious phenomena such as green fog, an electric mist that clings to planes, malfunctioning navigational instruments, and UFOs have been reported. Theories abound as to why so many strange things have been seen and planes and boats have vanished, but one thing is for sure. The Bermuda Triangle continues to claim victims. You're listening to Myths and Mysteries. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. Indians call him Sasquatch. There are busts of King Tut that also show an elongated skull. Taunting the police, chiding them, daring them to capture him. And finally, he invented a name for himself, Jack the Ripper. Analysis of the ground features suggests that this animal was indeed at least 40 feet long. It could have easily eaten up a man. I expect that we'll keep looking um, from now on until we find him or find out what happened. The Bermuda Triangle, also known as the Devil's Triangle, is a large expanse of the North Atlantic Ocean whose loose boundaries are said to stretch from Miami, Florida to San Juan, Puerto Rico to the island of Bermuda. Despite its sinister reputation as a place where ships, planes, and people vanish without a trace, it is heavily traveled, which may help to explain the extreme number of disappearances. One of the earliest mentions of the Triangle's unusual activity was a Miami Herald article on September 17, 1950. In 1952, Fate magazine published an article about the Triangle's vanishings, including the infamous Flight 19. Flight 19 is one of the most well-known stories of the Bermuda Triangle. It consisted of a group of five Avenger torpedo bombers that took off from the Naval Air Station in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Flight leader Lieutenant Charles Carroll Taylor and his group of trainees were scheduled for a flight that consisted of three different legs, including a practice bombing run. We know that they completed the first leg of the flight, the bombing run, because one of the pilots was heard on the radio requesting permission to drop his last bomb. Permission was granted, and 40 minutes later one of the trainees, named Powers, was asked by radio for his compass reading. Powers radioed back, I don't know where we are. We must have got lost after that last turn. 
This was the first indication that something was amiss for Flight 19. When a flight instructor back in Fort Lauderdale radioed to Powers to attempt to help him, he didn't answer. But flight leader Taylor did, stating, Both of my compasses are out, and I'm trying to find Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I'm over the land, but it's broken. I'm sure I'm over the keys, but I don't know how far down, and I don't know how to get to Fort Lauderdale. After some back and forth, one of Taylor's trainees was heard saying that they would get home if they could just head west. The weather began to get worse, as rain and heavy wind gusts rolled in, and radio contact became more infrequent. Eventually, Taylor radioed, We'll fly 270 degrees west until landfall or we run out of gas. A little while later, Taylor radioed again, saying, Holding 270, we didn't fly far enough east. We may as well just turn around and fly east again. The weather was getting even worse, and the sun had gone down. Finally, Taylor's last message was received. All planes close up tight. We have to ditch unless landfall. When the first plane drops below 10 gallons, we all go down together. Back at Fort Lauderdale, it was obvious that Flight 19 was lost and in serious trouble. Just north of Fort Lauderdale, two Catalina flying boats were launched in an attempt to find Flight 19 and lead them home. Shortly after takeoff, however, one of them, PBM-5, vanished from radar. PBM-5 was never found, although a tanker in the area would later report seeing a huge explosion midair and a pool of fuel and oil in the ocean. PBM-5's 13 crewmen joined the 14 pilots and crew of Flight 19 as apparent casualties of the Bermuda Triangle. It's assumed that PBM-5 exploded midair as flying boats were nicknamed flying gas tanks because of their tendency to fill with explosive gases during flight and occasionally catch fire. At dawn the following day, over 300 boats and airplanes were sent out in search of the missing aircraft. They searched over 300,000 miles in a span of five days and found nothing. To this day, no trace of the ill-fated Flight 19 or PBM-5 has ever been found. After the unsuccessful search, Navy Lieutenant David White would remark, They just vanished. We had hundreds of planes out looking, and we searched over land and water for days, and nobody ever found the bodies or any debris. The Navy was at a total loss for any answers, and eventually, the loss of Flight 19 was attributed to causes or reasons unknown. One odd footnote to the story is that Lieutenant Taylor allegedly reported late to the pre-flight briefing and asked to be excused from the flight, saying, I just don't want to take this one out. Whatever the case, unless the missing planes are eventually found, we will almost certainly never know what really happened to those men. Another of the Triangle's most famous casualties is the USS Cyclops. The Cyclops was a Proteus-class collier ship built for the Navy and launched in 1910. She worked along the east coast of the U.S. and served in Mexico and France during World War I. She left Rio de Janeiro on February 16, 1918, and entered Salvador four days later. After two days, she departed for Baltimore 
carrying 10,800 long tons of manganese ore, which is noteworthy because her maximum capacity was only 8,000 long tons. Before leaving Brazil, her captain, Lieutenant Commander George Worley, reported that her starboard engine was unusable due to a cracked cylinder. The Cyclops made an unscheduled stop in Barbados due to a high water level that indicated overloading. On March 4th, she headed for Baltimore once again, and was allegedly sighted several days later by a tanker called the Amolco, although the Amolco's captain denied this, and the Cyclops shouldn't have been in the location where she was allegedly sighted for several more days. Regardless, the Cyclops would never be seen again. She had disappeared forever, along with her 309 crewmen, the largest non-combat loss of life in naval history. There are a few theories about what caused the Cyclops to vanish. Some have speculated that she was torpedoed by German U-boats because of her load of manganese ore, although German naval authorities denied this at the time, and they have continued to deny it. Another theory is that she was lost in a large storm that pounded the Virginia Capes area on March 10th. Her overloaded cargo and damaged engine would have made her susceptible to storm damage, although the Navy didn't buy it. There are also a couple of other very interesting facts about the disappearance of the Cyclops. One is that her captain, Lieutenant Commander Worley, was actually born Johann Friedrich Wichmann in Hanover, Germany. He entered the USA in 1878, changed his name to Worley, and ran a saloon for a while in San Francisco before becoming a ship's master and commanding several merchant ships, and is rumored to have trafficked opium. Men who served under him on those ships have accused him of beatings and inhumane treatment on board the vessels. He was alleged to have fired a gun at one of his crewmen and made his rounds on the ship wearing nothing but long john underwear and a derby hat. One of the most damning allegations was that Worley was still a German sympathizer. Indeed, many of his closest friends and his crewmen were German. It's possible that Worley was either a victim of mutiny after crossing the line in his treatment of his crew, or that he and his crew delivered the Cyclops and its load of manganese ore to the Germans. We'll never know. There are many theories regarding the Bermuda Triangle, ranging from the scientific to the bizarre and covering nearly everything in between. There have been many UFO sightings within the Triangle over the years, including stories of a massive, glowing underwater pyramid. This pyramid is also mentioned in tandem with another popular, albeit unlikely, theory, that the Bermuda Triangle is the site of the lost city of Atlantis. While we won't go into too much detail on Atlantis because that's another episode in itself, it's thought by many that the lost city was once located near the Bahamas and that, although lost forever to the sea, its advanced power source is still active and wreaking havoc with ships and airplanes who pass over it. There are also many people who believe that the U.S. government is conducting secret tests somewhere out in the Triangle, although what exactly they could be testing is up for debate. Another of the more fun theories is that the Triangle is a portal through time and space, and that unfortunate victims slip through into another dimension and literally disappear off the face of the Earth. You've probably seen a movie or TV show based on this theory. Those are always interesting and fun, if not a little crazy. One of the slightly more plausible scenarios involves methane gas, 
Although there have been no recorded releases of methane gas within the triangle, it's believed that there could be large amounts of methane hydrates contained in the sea bottom below the triangle. When released, the methane would cause a massive burst of bubbles to shoot up to the ocean's surface. Any ship caught in this storm of bubbles would lose its buoyancy and sink almost immediately. A flight simulator test done on one of the documentaries that we watched during our preparation for this episode showed that, theoretically, the methane would also affect airplanes in a similar fashion. There's also the possibility that many of the lost ships and planes were destroyed by violent storms. This area of the Atlantic is subject to hurricanes and tropical storms, and there's also a relatively new theory related to the weather in the triangle, hexagonal clouds. These clouds are caused by microbursts and can be 20 to 55 miles wide. Meteorologist Randy Cerveni, Ph.D., told the Science Channel show What on Earth, These types of hexagonal shapes are in essence air bombs. They're formed by microbursts and they're blasts of air. End quote. A microburst is an extreme downdraft of air that acts as the opposite of a tornado. Instead of sucking upward into the sky, a microburst slams directly downward until hitting the surface and spreading rapidly outward. These blasts of air can reportedly reach up to 170 miles per hour, which would obviously wreak havoc on any aircraft that flew into it, as well as causing massive deadly waves. Not much is known yet about these hexagonal clouds, Cloud formations with straight edges are extremely rare. Perhaps in the near future, as more research is done, we'll understand them better, and in the process unlock some of their Bermuda Triangle secrets. For now, though, those secrets, like her victims, lie hidden beneath her waves. Spencer, now that we've discussed some of the more famous stories of the triangle and gone through the theories, um, are there any triangle stories that we didn't cover in the episode that are some of your personal favorites? Oh man, absolutely. There are so many stories, as you, I'm sure, uh, can understand when there are some people saying that there's over a thousand different disappearances that have happened. There are, uh, there are a couple that stand out to mind. Uh, there was a story... Uh, about a National Airline Flight 727 that was just crazy that I really liked. There was this, uh, this Flight 727 was flying into Miami, and while about 20 minutes out, they just vanish off the radar. Everything on the plane, everyone is fine, things are great. The flight attendant is going around making her preparations for landing, and she later said that it seemed like when she had done it, it normally takes her between 12 to 15 minutes, and this time it only took like three and that was odd to her, but nothing else seemed out of place. Later, one of the co-pilots would claim to see the, f- the famous green fog out there. But naturally, everybody in the tower started to panic. They were calling the Coast Guard. They were getting the emergency transports and vehicles ready. And for only the plane to land a few minutes later, ten minutes late, and when everybody gets off of the plane, there's this discrepancy between the times that they were supposed to arrive and when they did arrive and the clocks that they have and they actually find that everyone's watches are 10 minutes late and there's just this vanished 10 minutes which is trademark you know UFO stuff oh yeah so that flagged that flagged a lot of uh, a lot of attention for a lot of different people um, and then another one that was just totally crazy that was on one of the documentaries that we watched was a story about a captain Don Henry 
who was a sea captain for 20 plus years, a ton of experience, uh, and he was towing something um, on on his boat one day. It had it connected to like a half ton of this giant cable that they use, and uh, this giant storm hits all of a sudden right after he goes through some green fog. There it is again, and. So he starts being concerned for the cargo and eventually for his life and and anyone else that was on his crew. The storm subsides suddenly, and when they go out to check the tow, the cable is still stretched taut over over the water in the air with absolutely nothing attached to the end of it, he said. And so it's just there frozen. The waves calmed almost immediately, but their their tow, their all of their hauling was completely gone. There was uh it's just one of the many, many crazy stories that are related to this. There's ghost ships, people found with no uh passengers on the ships, just crazy stuff we could talk about all night. I believe the Rosalie was one of those, right? 1840, and they find the ship with no crew and only a canary left on board? Just a canary, yeah. <laughs> Somehow that just is the perfect the perfect piece to finish that story. It's the one detail that's needed to, to just kind of tip it over the edge. Absolutely. So, having been through the, the, uh, the more impressive stories from the Triangle... Let's let's shift our talk to the theories now. Are there any theories that you feel like we can just write off at the beginning as it's definitely not that? I hate to do it because uh, our listeners and you and I personally are uh, so intrigued by the otherworldly and, uh, you know, we want to believe. But I think that we could start off by probably tossing away the theory that... Um, that it's a, you know a time portal to another another dimension another time or another place just because um, it doesn't doesn't seem like it's probably quite so scientific but uh, I I would you know consider that there's a lot of really interesting things that cause people to think UFO but I tend to lean away from UFO or or time portal yeah I lean away from the UFOs and the time portals um, dimensional portals I'm not. It's a long shot, but I'm not going to rule them out because I do believe in in alternate dimensions and travel between them. But I I don't think that we can say that, oh yeah, all these missing planes and all these missing ships are just... They, they're one dimension over in the multiverse, you know? I don't think we can say that. Right. Or they're, they're just in 1922 now. It's not yeah, a big deal. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, they're, you know... They're hanging out with Christopher Columbus in 1492, but um, <laughs> I actually watched a fictional miniseries where that happened, where Columbus is sailing into the Triangle and he passes like this giant oil tanker. I cannot believe I haven't found. It was that very yet. interesting. I'll get it to you off air. Um, there, another theory that I think we can rule out is that the Bermuda Triangle is the location of the lost city of Atlantis, and that the. Uh, the giant battery that powered Atlantis is still somehow humming along down there under the sea and affecting the instruments of all the ships and planes that fly over it. What do you think? Is there uh, is there an Atlantis death ray at work in the Bermuda Triangle? Secretly, I hope that there is, but <laughs> I think I'm, I'm on board with you on there. Um, they should write a song called Under the Sea. That sounds like it's got potential. But I, uh, <laughs> I do remember hearing something about the Bimini Road um, which I know a lot of people think leads to Atlantis or has to do with Atlantis. That's a fascinating thing in itself that we can talk about in, in another episode, but I know that's what makes people think uh, that it could uh, could be Atlantis-related. It's this, is it man-made, is it, uh, is it natural, but it's this a, a, a J-shaped road, in air quotes, um, oh. that seems to be in the area under the sea. So Yeah, and it's 
a bunch of stones that look as if they were carved and laid there one after the other, and they've been investigated. And it's one, sort of one of those, like, you see what you want to see, and there's a group that's 100% convinced that they were laid there by humans, and there's another group that 100% believes that they just formed there naturally, and it's a coincidence. So I I don't know what to think of the Bimini Road, to be honest. Where do you lean on uh, some of the more conspiracy theories? Uh, conspiracy- theory things. Uh, I know some people think that it could be, um, you know, the the cousin of Area 51 over there. That's an intriguing one, and actually that's in the fictional miniseries as well. Like, you, you've really got to watch this. It's cheesy and great. But, um... <laughs> I have a hard time seeing it. I, I, I believe that that stuff happens because there is an Area 51, so it makes sense that if you are building watercraft, you would have to have like a... a uh, a maritime area 51 but again i don't think that you can pin it on that i don't think you can say that you know that the u.s military is knowingly doing things that cause hundreds and thousands of people to disappear i i really just i i know people want it to be that because we blame everything on that but i really think we can rule that one out another one that's really really popular that you see on a lot of shows is the methane gas theory um, that there are methane hydrates in the seafloor buried beneath it, and that it would rupture, and the the cloud of bubbles would rise to the surface and displace the water around a ship and cause it to sink. What's your take on the methane hydrate theory? It's a really, really fascinating theory, and uh, uh, there was in one of the documentaries we watched, we got to witness these guys do that to a little tiny USS Cyclops, and the guy's comment in there was, wow, we're, we're not usually paid in here to, to sink stuff, and so he was having a great time, but they, yeah, it was that. great, they witnessed um, how it could be done uh, with the bubbles and, and simulated the methane, and actually put uh, you know the flight simulator that you mentioned on there as well to see what the methane bubbles might do to an aircraft um, the problem that I have with it is that in in the documentary and everywhere that I've researched this theory they mentioned that it would take some major earthquakes or some major landslides or, or ship, shift along fault lines and I just I feel like that would be more well documented if it was happening enough at the same time that all of these planes were going down or ships were going down it seems like a more practical theory scientifically but there are other famous uh, things that are happening in the ocean like the bloop that i'm sure we'll talk about some other time a loud noise that was caught by underwater audio equipment and i i can't help thinking that if there were these massive uh, shifts landslides and earthquakes going on under the water that it wouldn't be caught somewhere else. That we wouldn't. That we would be sitting here wondering: Could it be this methane thing? If these catastrophic events were happening deep down in the ocean that were causing these bubbles to come up. That being said, uh, I do know that some people speculate that there's just a larger amount of the, the methane hydrate, or maybe that it could be another way. But I uh, I lean away from it just a little bit, at least at least for uh, it being the cause of so many hundreds of disappearances or uh, question marks. Yeah, that's actually a note that I have uh, in front of me that I came across in my preparation, is that um, it would make a lot more sense if the methane bubbles could just sort of leak out naturally, but they don't. You know, it takes something big like an earthquake or something, some kind of upheaval in the seafloor to cause them to be released, and I mean, the, the Bermuda Triangle 
is loaded with islands. You would have massive waves and possibly tsunamis if that were the case, and that has not ever been recorded. So I feel like the methane theory is is actually pretty safe to rule out for me. I would agree, and I think that on the topic of waves and stuff, there are plenty of records of uh, giant storms, hurricanes... Uh, in that particular area, the Bermuda Triangle, it is just ripe with storms and hurricanes and tropical storms. And so we do see those, and those sometimes cause waves. And rogue waves are scientifically proven. But what you're talking about with the methane causing uh, causing those waves would be much better documented. I think that's what you're saying. Absolutely. i got to tell you, the theory that really I am most interested in is the newest one that, as far as I can tell, only dates back to last year um, with these hexagonal clouds and the microbursts and the out of nowhere these clouds causing just this tremendous gust of air that slams straight downwards. And that, to me, seems maybe not that exact weather pattern, but I think weather, to me, seems like the biggest and most likely... um, theory that could actually be the case and mother nature is so unpredictable um you see storms there are so many irregularities in nature that we haven't figured out and we may never figure out that something to do with the clouds with the currents with all of these things that are more nature related it does seem like maybe more of a collaboration of things could be the cause like what you're talking about um more effects in nature than we could pin it on any one um kind of of out-of-the-box thinking sort of thing that's definitely something i'm going to be keeping track of because we're still they they you know the meteorological community if i said that right are still trying to figure out these hexagonal clouds they have straight edges that's that's something that you never see in clouds you know and so i'm going to be definitely keeping an eye on that to see what they come up with because i feel like pretty soon we're going to be seeing a documentary about it i wouldn't be surprised at all and there's nothing to say that uh, something that we're seeing now that's unproven won't be proven. We've seen it in rogue waves. We've seen it with some of the cryptids that are no longer cryptids because science has proven that they exist, and it just took us a long time. We're constantly discovering new and different things, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, you know rogue waves didn't exist, and now they do, and these hexagonal clouds uh, didn't exist, and, and then soon maybe they do. Something else I couldn't help but notice as a pattern as I'm going through story after story from the Bermuda Triangle is there were a lot of shortcuts taken by some of the people that went missing. Um, Flight 19, I don't know if you saw this in the research, but before they took off, something they noted was that their airplanes had not had clocks installed. And, you know, part... (laughs) seems like an oversight well part of that is you know in navigation especially at that point you know your speed and you got to know how long you've been flying in this direction to calculate how much mileage you've gone you know or something like that and they just said well we're not going to worry about the clocks that are missing because you guys have watches you know or something like that and so they just kind of shrugged it off and i i was reading about um another plane that had disappeared over the triangle and um they noticed pre-takeoff that the batteries were low on water and were not fully charged. And they said, well, the batteries will just recharge during flight. 
and so they didn't do anything about it. You know, and I think you're sort of putting yourself a little more at risk if you're out there in a plane or a ship that's not operating at its maximum efficiency. You know, if you're you're sort of going into it with one hand tied behind your back to begin with. And I think, especially in an area like the Triangle, that's just really not advisable. You're right. And in addition to that, we have to remember that some of these stories that we're seeing, uh, you know, in documentaries, the stories we're hearing and reading about, happened a long time ago also. And some of the technology that they had was garbage. Yeah. I mean, in some of these planes that they're flying, in some of the reading I discovered that one of the radios and one of the, I believe it was the Avenger planes in Flight 19, would have been the size of a kitchen table, and they still didn't work that well. And, you know, you want to send your guys up with, with those, and that's the best that they had at the time. Um, the the navigational equipment in some of the planes that have gone missing is uh, is well-known and recorded to be shoddy uh, at times. You want to send your guys up with batteries that are not full. You know, for, for any of our listeners in aviation, if anybody has any questions why there's so many regulations, it's apparently because they did such a crappy job in the past of <laughs> of just, just sending them up and letting them go. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, the equipment can be faulty, it can be old, and uh, this area is, is enormous and so I don't, I don't think we should really be that shocked that some of these things happen. So, like I said before, I think that um, if I had to pick a theory that I believe to be true, for the majority of them, I'm going to say that it's weather, and in some cases weather mixed with faulty equipment. Um, one of the biggest uh, and most talked about things that people use as, a, as, a, as evidence of something otherworldly happening in the Triangle is that the wreckage is often never found. I have a theory for that, so let me know what you think about this. Um, there's two points I want to make. Number one is that the seafloor in the triangle varies constantly. Some of it is shallow, very sandy, very easy for the currents that flow through the triangle to cover a wreck with sand to where you would never see it unless you were going over it with metal detectors. The other big thing is that the Gulf Stream, which is a very powerful current and large current, flows right through the triangle. So if you crash your plane and the plane is sinking and hits the Gulf Stream, that sucker's getting shot out into the Atlantic and it's going to be hundreds of miles away in a place where you would never think to look for it. So I think those two factors can combine to show sort of why so many of these wrecks are never found. Absolutely, I think it's feasible. There are a lot of uh, more scientifically minded Bermuda Triangle skeptics that will mention, you know, so many of these things could just be covered in sand, shallow sand, shallow areas. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, not to be a total buzzkill, but the area is over 500,000 square miles, and at some points, the Bermuda Triangle is unique in the currents, the way that the currents work, but also the depth. Uh, you have places that are incredibly shallow where you would think that you'd be able to see anything down there, but the sand covers it. And there are some areas of the Bermuda Triangle that are part of the deepest parts in the ocean that we know of on planet Earth. And so up to about, I think I read, five miles deep in some places. Yeah, there, there are five-mile deep trenches that you can't That's see insane. the bottom of. Uh, it's so deep, and it's so enormous. And uh, we've, mapped, uh, we've mapped, one expert said, less than 5% of the ocean floor. So we're talking about less than 5% of the substance that covers 75% of our planet, 
there's so much going on down there that we probably will never see or know about. Um, and then the, again, the currents that you mentioned that are so very strong divers, when they go down in that area, have to anchor themselves to things so that they don't get dragged away. It's, it's very feasible that some of these things went down ships, planes, etc., and were broken up and just scattered so quickly that, uh, some people guesstimate that it could be done, you know, within hours, there would be parts of these parts of these craft, um, you know, in different countries. Yeah, I feel like probably at the bottom of that five mile trench, there's like, you know, some big ships and planes down there. And probably I said to somebody at work this week that I feel like at the end, you know, somewhere towards the end of the Gulf Stream out in the Atlantic somewhere, there's probably just like a pile of like 50 planes <laughs> just chilling down there with, that nobody's found because they've all just crashed in the triangle and then been sucked away by the by the Gulf Stream. Yeah, all the Atlanteans play in them. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that wraps up our episode for this week. We hope that you've enjoyed it as much as we have enjoyed making it. You can, as always, find us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Myths Podcast. We ask that if you've enjoyed the show that you please subscribe on iTunes and that you leave us a review if you uh, feel strongly about it. We prefer the five-star kind. If you want to get a hold of us and maybe tell us how bad we are or tell us about a fact that we got wrong or, or anything like that, go to mythsandmysteriespod.com. Right on the front page, there's an email subscription form. You can send us an email and let us know anything that you think we should know about. As always, I'm Zach. He's Spencer. You're listening to Myths and Mysteries. See you next time.